0: we are, we are back alive how what has it been about? I think it's been about two weeks since i um since I did a podcast this It's definitely by far the longest uh I've gone since we started um recording these
1: yeah, no I saw uh right before I had signed off Twitter. People were like, "We don't really care if you're tweeting or not, but we want another podcast <laughs>
0: um well you know I mean. So I think the last episode that, that I recorded was with um, – uh, was it with Dallas, Amico, um, talking about some of the – I mostly we talked about, I guess, Julius Randle and touched on, touched on some of the other Knicks new additions. But, you know, more or less it's like, you know, there hasn't been a lot to talk about the last couple of weeks and I don't – you know, I haven't I haven't felt the usually it's like all right, it's like there's a couple things that need to be discussed and whether it's a game or a move or whatever and it's like okay, get on and talk about it, but it's like there hasn't been that thing that's moved me to uh, set up the microphone and contact someone or another to to get them on, but um, you know, it just it felt like we needed to do one more before we like officially set sail into the off season, you know.
1: Yeah, I know. It makes sense. It's funny because, you know, everyone talks about how the NBA, it's a 12-month season and the off season's getting shorter and shorter. But that said, when you really look at it, there is, I think, a solid two-month gap. I was about to say that. Two
0: months. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like if you you know if you get into the international play stuff, then you could argue it, it's it's maybe one month because in September some of that stuff picks up, but it really is a solid two months that pretty much nothing is going to happen from now until mid September ish.
0: And really, you know, and it, it's funny because this kind of leads into what I have a feeling our main. I haven't. I haven't even talked to you about this. We, I, I, for those listening, we the the extent of the planning of this episode was literally. JB sent me. Well, I had sent him a text saying, "Hey, we should do one more pod." And two minutes before we popped on, you texted me about um, something you wanted to touch on, which was already something I figured we were going to touch on. That's the extent of the planning we did for this, and yet <laughs> I I would bet. A, Goodly sum of money. That I know what what some of the, the time is going to be spent, um, you know, uh, talking about. But to lead into that, really, the month of July, even though it feels like a month where stuff is going on, it's not. Stuff goes on for, you know, what four days, three five days at the beginning of July and by July 5th maybe July 6th i mean for all intents and purposes everything is done and yet the, lex- the the 3 weeks after that period of time it just feels like there's still stuff going on because everybody is pumping out different versions of their you know post free agency um you know postmortem i guess you'd say and that kind of leads us to where you know to where we're at today, where we, we have now 27, eight days in the rearview mirror almost um, of people churning out kind of different versions of the same article about the Knicks. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it's been, um, well, I haven't talked to you about it. So what's, what are your impressions? I'm curious. Yeah, well, it's funny because even
1: with the last newsletter uh, that we put out, which I guess I, you know, we always say we're not the best at marketers, right? But people should subscribe to the newsletter because even though it's off season, we're still putting one out once a week on Thursdays. And you could go. Uh, we got to make sure, actually, on your Twitter profile. I don't even remember. Do you have a link to subscribe to the newsletter?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's unless it's the okay, wrong okay. unless it's the wrong link. Hold on, I'm literally... no,
1: no. I I haven't even double checked. I was going to say I know. Uh, I was thinking in my head, do I have the link up on my profile still? But, yeah, go to our profiles and you can subscribe because uh, every Thursday something will come out. But Jonathan's last piece, which a lot of people, you know, it was actually overwhelming reading how many people, uh, you know, were just excited to see someone finally kind of sum up where I think a lot of Knicks fans' heads are right now, and that is we all know this off season did not go 100% as planned right like if, if it went as planned we would still be doing celebratory podcasts about the fact that they landed every single superstar that's ever been rumored to them right but, yeah. <laughs> but it didn't and then there was a lot of reaction about what they did instead as sort of their plan b and i and you know i agree with a lot of the points that that you raised in a piece and i guess i'll highlight one in particular and that is the notion that the that the knicks didn't there was a lot of criticism that the Knicks didn't use their cap space to acquire draft picks by taking on bad contracts. And I'll let you explain it because you wrote it, so I think you you do a good job of laying it out. But it's like if you actually look at the the trades, and it wasn't that there was a thousand of them out there. There was, I think, what, two of them out there. Two, they, unless
0: unless you want to consider the Suns-Memphis um trade which was it's funny to actually to say the words because he was a the fourth pick in the draft two years ago a salary dump of josh jackson um which netted um the, the grizzlies a uh uh decent young player and and two future second round picks so two and a half let's just say salary so dump yeah trade. so
1: go into the so let's just do this now go into the two and a half because so again the the you know the context is: should the Knicks have, instead of signing a bunch of power forwards? This is kind of the rhetoric, right? They could have. Which used is,
0: which is, by the way, that is the single funniest aspect of this of the of the last three weeks. How that has been the criticism that that people have turned to. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. And yeah, so,
1: could they have used that space to acquire draft picks? So now let's look at the teams who did do that and examine. Were they deals that the Knicks could have either done or would have made sense, or what exactly did they miss out on? And I think you, you know, kind of sum it up well.
0: And really, really, we're talking about we're talking about one deal in my mind because, and and the reason I didn't harp on this aspect of it is because I had um, written a paragraph or so on it, one of the newsletters that came out um, pretty soon after free agency. I don't even consider the – so there's the Andre Iguodala deal, which the Warriors' uh, salary dumped him to the Grizzlies um, for what is a – make sure I get this right – 2024 top four protected uh, first-round pick. Um, And, you know, I – I, aside pu- putting aside the fact that the Warriors have been obviously the most successful organization in all of sports for the last five years and um, are moving into a new area, arena and are going to be uh, printing money and there's no reason to believe that they're ever going to be bad um, or even remotely close to being bad at any point in the near future. Just putting aside that for the fact and, and for a second and the fact that that pick is, is – you know, it's not going to be any kind of a, a serious asset – the the two things about that trade, which I love that people gloss over, is one, it's Andre Iguodala, who, um, what was it, three or four days before free agency started, something like that, went on, uh, I think it was CSNBC or some, some financial yeah. show, and and said, in no uncertain terms, his verbatim, it was, nobody's coming to the Knicks, which... If he had said that about twenty nine other teams, no one would bat an eyelash because he's someone that's joking around with a co host who I guess was a Knicks fan. But he said it about the Knicks, who have as forget about other teams on the floor. Forget about um, you know writers who have it out for them, maybe or maybe not. Forget about you know free agency, free free agents. You know, uh, forget about everything else. Their main opponent, if you listen to anyone, is that stars don't want to come. So the solution to that is to take on a salary dump um, of a guy who literally said the punchline of the offseason where your team is concerned, and then, okay, sure. You want to turn around and say, all right, well, he'll never play a game for you. You'll trade him to some other contender before the season starts, or this or that. Well, you know what? He's still on the Grizzlies right now, and you don't do those type of trades just to just to cut a guy because teams don't like want to have $17 million of dead weight on their set. You don't, that's not something that NBA teams do. You don't sit around having what amounts to 16 or 17% of your salary cap being dead weight. Um,
1: Well, and just to pick up off that point, because this is, I think the, you know, the, the conflicting arguments that are made. So one is the Knicks, The reason why stars don't want to come to the Knicks beyond the ownership, and we'll get to that later, people attribute it to the fact that they only won, you know, they didn't win 42 games like the Nets did, or they didn't win enough games, right? And the point is, last year, as much as because Zion was the, the top pick, the talk of, quote, tanking was focused on, you know, losing to get that top pick. What people gloss over is a lot of the reasons why the Knicks didn't win a lot of games last year is because they were doing what what you just described. They had a lot of dead cap weight on their roster. So the team that went on the floor every night only represented something like 30% of their cap spend because they had guys like for a big portion of the season, you had even, you know, Prazingis part of the salary that wasn't there. You obviously had Noah's entire salary because they didn't stretch it until starting this year. So when you're carrying a, a lot of that, quote, dead weight, and then, you know, they had wave guys like Ron Baker. And again, those aren't large amounts, but you keep adding them up and you start to see all of that salary that's not, being used to productive players on the court. And it's as much of that that leads to not winning as it is you're purposely, you know, then just losing with the guys that you have. And I think that's the the other piece of this is, so let's say you get Igadol, and then to your point, you don't want to just carry that 17 million or whatever it is on your books. Well, the reason you wouldn't is because you're then again going against this concept of showing incremental improvement of showing you're a team that can win. So it's like you got to have one or the other, right? So either you're going and you're getting draft picks and getting and by doing that you're filling your cap with unproductive assets, or you're trying to win, you know, some games in which you need to actually spend that money to try to win the game. So I guess just. That's kind of a good point, I guess, to bring up that conflicting argument.
0: And and can I? I, I don't usually get on my soapbox, uh, even though I am short, and I could probably should probably carry around a soapbox with me just because <laughs> it would make me a little bit taller. I could then look you in the eye because you're you know what are you? You're six feet, right? You're five eleven, five. Yeah, a little, a little over, probably
1: like six one around there. There you go.
0: Okay, just just rub it in. Um, I, I mean, I'm just
1: six feet. I just make it
0: <laughs> in Tim's though in Tim's. Uh, Right, exactly. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to get on the soapbox for a second. Every, like, we just got done with a season. I'm going to call 2018-19 the season of culture, right, in the NBA. It was about the Nets culture, and their culture is the reason that um, Kyrie Irving and and Kevin Durant signed there. And it's the Clippers culture that brought aboard, you know— Kawhi Leonard and and Paul George, and even though Kawhi Leonard left Toronto, it was their culture that seamlessly integrated him, and it was the Warriors' culture that allowed them to survive the little dust up between Draymond and and Durant. and And we we heard over and over again about how you don't you can't you know fast track culture, you can't microwave culture. You have to embed it slowly. You got to let it simmer. You got to let it age like a fine wine, and that starts with the bottling process on day one when you. Start, you know, squishing those grapes under your toes or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> so don't anybody try to tell me like, oh, just bring a gadala in and then you'll, you know, you'll get rid of him eventually. No, no, I don't want to hear it because you have a group of kids who are the future of your organization. It's the one thing everybody could agree on, whether you hate the Knicks or you love the Knicks. You have a group of kids who are the future of your organization who are sitting around – Looking at everything being written, being talked about, being said, being discussed in the late weeks of June, early weeks of July about how this is a joke and it's always going to be a joke and here's why it's a joke. And oh, what did your organization, what was the first move your organization went out and did to kick off the summer? Bring in the guy who went on television and said it's a joke and that's why nobody wants to come here. Like, don't talk to me about how. Oh, you could have figured it out later. Just, just get that twenty twenty four pick. That's the that's the golden nugget. That's what you needed. That would have been the difference. That's what smart teams do. No, don't give me this ridiculousness. Pick a narrative. I don't care which one you pick, but pick one. Um, I'm sorry. That was that's as no. agitated as you will ever. <laughs> no, as well- that's it.
1: But and well, and as we you know we kind of sidetrack a little to that original point of the, even the pick. You know, you're talking about a pick that's way out into the future and you you have no idea what it even becomes.
0: And that's the better of the picks. We didn't even talk about the heartless trade that really had everybody, you know, going over the cliff, which is lottery protected for three years. There is an 85 to 90 percent chance that pick is going to wind up being the, um, I don't know, 18th, 19th, 20th. Um pick in, in the whatever 2023 draft, I guess. Um but it but again, going it's the same point essentially as the Igadala point, which is that we just got done with 12 months of everybody talking to us about how it's culture, 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 and that's how you win, you gotta foster the walls and you gotta build from within and, and, and strengthen the foundation and, and take care of your core and all this crap. Right. I mean, I shouldn't say crap because I think there's some legitimacy to to it. But then how do you then at the same time pump out article after article after article about how the Knicks should be worried about something that can't physically happen until three or four or five years down the road with these with these picks that are probably not going to be good picks anyway? Well, the
1: other part, too, is if you look at Brooklyn as comparison, when they got Timothy Mazgoff, right, in, in a deal, where they're taking on a bad contract. In that deal, the, the key thing they netted, obviously, was D'Angelo Russell, who ironically had to be, you know, removed to add Kyrie. Now, you could argue that's fine because his play this past year helped them kind of build that winning 42, you know, get, get to the 42 wins and show that they were on the way up. But that aside, they actually also had to attach a pick. Going the other way, I think that's what people forget is they look at yep. these past deals and they say, oh, well, remember the Nets took on a bad contract in Mozgov and, and out of it, they didn't get a pick. They got D'Angelo Russell. Well, actually, they did attach a pick and that pick became Kyle Kuzma.
0: And, who, and yeah. Yeah, go on. No, no. Finish what you're saying.
1: No, so I'm saying it there was it wasn't just a free cost. Right. So you could say, what did they actually end up getting out of that? Well, they got D'Angelo Russell to be, I guess, sort of their, quote, proof in the pudding that they can kind of turn guys around and, and, and that carries value to them. But they didn't exactly just get it for free. And I think that's what people forgot. They also gave up someone like Kyle Kuzma, who he was a later pick. So, you know, the Lakers had to either do the right scouting or get lucky to actually make that pick. But... The point is, it wasn't just a free salary dump, and I think sometimes people forget that too when they think of past trades. Is you got to go back and look at the details of everything that was included in that deal.
0: Yeah, and the other detail that I love that everybody um, has conveniently ignored is is what was what was the very first thing that Sean Marks literally? What were his first moves before the Damari Carroll trade? You know, before the, the Russell trade, which, which came a year later. What's the What's the first two moves that he tried to do? He signed Alan Crabb to an offer sheet, a massive offer sheet, and then when that got matched, he took around, he turned around, and he turned that money into attempting to sign Tyler Johnson to a massive offer sheet. And again, it's I, Sean Marks is a smart guy. He knew those were bad contracts the day that he tried to sign the offer sheets, just like he knew the Crabb contract was a bad contract when he traded for it a year later. He did that because you know that when you're trying to build something from nothing and let's make no bones about it, the Knicks are building from nothing. You have to, you have to start somewhere and you have to, there's a priority to get people in your building that you feel like these are the type of people that we want our kids to be around so that we're not wasting our time here. And it's, and of course, he got picks out of other deals, the Damare deal. He got—I'm um, missing another one that he got a pick out of. He got—he t- t- took on some bad money for picks. But again, as you pointed out many times, that's because they were operating from a pick deficit. They had no picks to start with because the previous guy had traded them all away. For one, um, you know, and and he had no choice but to try to restock the coffers. Meanwhile, the Knicks already have two surplus picks, thanks to the thanks to the Porzingis trade.
1: Yeah, um, no, exactly. Oh, and and by the way too, Brooke Lopez is a piece I'm completely forgetting about too that was in that. Yeah, was, it was a big it was you know, a right? big
0: part of that deal. Yeah. But he Sean Marks, you know, everybody's golden boy, he knew you had to have a balance. Right, he, you got it right. You got I, you can the point is you build through
1: free agency, the draft, and trades. And I think what gets missed a lot is it's a mix of those three things. And I think a lot of discussion gets focused on you have to basically pick one of those three things and then that's how you build. And then if you pick one, so if you say we're building through the draft and you dare make a trade or you dare sign a free agent, you're now going against your plan. And I think that's maybe the biggest thing people miss is that you have to use all three. And then to the point you're making, you're trying to uh, build your assets so you're allowed to use all three. So in the Nets' position, they couldn't build through the draft because they didn't have the picks to do it so he so they need they were in a position where they said okay we need to acquire some of those picks back so now that we have all three of those options available to us the knicks because they have the picks that they had they they were more in a position to say well right now we have the cap space we need to build a little bit through free agency by bringing in some veteran players it's it's using those three things and it doesn't mean like i said because you use one that you're going against the other you should be balancing those three options
0: and 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 to just really you know put cap on this you draft well you know uh, you know, make trades, sign free agents. None of it matters if, if as we've learned, as this summer was a very, 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 very real reminder of. And this is why I started the the article out with you know the Knicks took a loss this summer. Whether or not it it works out for the better that they would have signed Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant or not, the fact is, I I think, and I'm not even sure how much I believe this anymore, but we we think they they would have been very very happy to end this summer. With Kyrie and a an injured Kevin Durant, although there's a part of me that wonders of late, and we don't have to get into it, but like after that injury took place, because I think we both had our suspicions, and we don't have to get into how we had those suspicions, but let's just say we both had our suspicions, that the Knicks weren't too keen on Kyrie to begin with. Could we agree on that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess again, it's a question of were they not as keen once they realized that they probably weren't going to get him. Oh no, but I think but no, I think I, I think in general the point is even outside the Knicks, there seemed to be a feeling that because I think we even heard it with you know rumors around Brooklyn, it's if Kyrie didn't come with Kevin Durant, attached, they didn't want Kyrie I think most. Right, most of these teams would have said, we would have passed on Kyrie. Yeah, I think that and, seems to be clear.
0: And I wonder how much that, you know, everybody Everybody spent all their time focusing on whether or not the injury changed Durant's thinking. I really do wonder how much that injury changed um, the Knicks. Not that it would have mattered, but whatever. Neither here nor there. The, the point is, regardless of how the summer turns out for the Nets, regardless of how the summer turns out for the Knicks, we we just learned that you need to have something in place that is good and and feels good and is you know capable of growing on its own without additional draft picks later on or trades or or free agents and it's like that was a fact that was a, that was what everybody was saying going into july it's like that's what really matters what the clippers did this year that matters what the nets did this year that matters um, you know, the, the Raptors building it up slowly to, so they could acquire a Kyrie Leonard, like, or, uh, excuse me, a Kawhi Leonard, like that matters. And yet when the Knicks go out and they try to do their best to put themselves in that position uh, to be a team that actually looks coherent and competent on the floor, even if it is only going from 17 wins to whatever, 26, 27, 28, 29, now pick your number, um, like, the fact that not one of these people who are pumping out the same version of this – or different version of the same article, that nobody – that everybody just writes it off as literally one line in the piece. Like, okay, sure, the Knicks would be better, but – like, did – what – am I living in, in, in the the fucking twilight zone that I didn't just get done hearing nine months of the same thing about how what you have in place is all – like, uh, this is what I've been holding in for the better part of a month, JP. <laughs> I've been saving it we for you. had to you. let it
1: out. This is the therapy,
0: right? No, to let it it's out. just – it's like – because I, I – and I didn't want to let it out because it's like I get it. I you, Sometimes you just have to take the L. And as Zach Lowe said two days after free agency ended, I thought he nailed it. He's like the Knicks are embarrassed and they should be embarrassed and they should be embarrassed for a lot of reasons and they should – they're I mean, look, we've defended Dolan, and maybe this is a good time to get into Dolan. Like, look, he went on a radio show and said something he probably shouldn't have said. I didn't personally care about it that much at the time, but he said what he said and it is what it is. When you're a when you're a James Dolan like person and you do the things that James Dolan does, you probably shouldn't get on that particular show and say that particular thing. Um, you know, but so yeah, I agree that they have reason to be embarrassed. But what they did since was act like just like a normal organization and trying to put one foot in front of the other. And he recognized that and he said it, um, you know, but everybody else ignores it, which is just, you know, it's it's kind of funny to me. But I guess maybe that could take us into Dolan. Um, so do you want me to just give you the floor on Dolan? Well, yeah, I guess
1: uh, not being on social media didn't give me my normal uh- – you know, a soapbox myself to, to go off. on this. I just felt like I saw Bloomberg came out with a, a, you know, a pretty lengthy piece about James Dolan, whether I think the title is, is he the worst owner in sports? Yeah. And I guess my, you know, my simple thing, and I've made this argument for a long time is if you're writing one of these pieces and you want to write, is he the worst owner in the NBA? I think based on results you have a you have a pretty <laughs> you know you have a pretty far leeway to do that right because yeah. you look at the Knicks results so since he's been owner and there hasn't been many teams who have been worse. I mean ironically the Nets are one of the few teams that have lost more games than the Knicks over the last I think it'd be the 15 years because I think in those first those first few years in 2000s they they had that you know, they had that run. Yeah. But I think in the last 15 years, the Nets have actually lost more than the Knicks, uh, um, ironically. Definitely now. Definitely
0: the last 10 years. I know it's the last 10 years.
1: Maybe the yeah, last 15 it's, also. Maybe it's, yeah. But the point is that it makes sense. And I guess the part that I don't understand, because these are, you know, not just the journalists that you would think write in these pieces, right? Like this isn't just coming out of the New York Daily News. These are actually other publications with journalists that I consider good journalists writing them. And I'm just, to me, the part that just shocks me is how you can be a journalist that's supposed to look at a situation, take a step back, not be in the circus that is the New York media of how they you know, fight James Dolan or anyone who's covered the Knicks and feels like because of the way their media access been, et cetera, that they sort of have this thing of, well, now I'm going to really kind of stick it to Dolan. People even outside of that seem to be incapable of looking at the fact that James Dolan owns two professional sports teams, the New York (laughs) Knicks and the New York Rangers. And you can't write an entire article with the title being, is James Dolan the worst owner in sports? And when I did a control find, the Rangers were listed twice, and one of them was just simply to note he also owns the Rangers. And then the other reference was just a short sentence that said, while the Rangers have done quite well, comma, and then it was something to just get back into the Knicks. He he has been the owner of the Rangers. Those results matter just the same as the Knicks. And people can explain the differences. So a lot of times when I make this argument, people say, well, with the Rangers, he stays out of it, and that's why. It doesn't matter the reasons. If you want to write an article, why have the Rangers been successful and the Knicks haven't, you can then maybe raise that point. But if you're simply saying – if you're simply examining, is he the worst owner in sports, and you don't spend at least 40% of the article – talking about the the team that he owns equally, the Rangers, who if you look at their success since he's owned them, they have won, to put it for people who aren't hockey fans, they have won equivalent to like what the Houston Rockets, I always say they're kind of the Rockets of the NHL, they haven't won that championship in the last 15-20 years, but they've been good a lot of those years. I mean, it took them a while to kind of get going, and then obviously Saylor came, and that's when the early 2000s, they were struggling. They went on that stretch where they didn't make the playoffs, similar to the Knicks. But then they got going, and they got going good. They were making deep playoff runs. They obviously got to a Stanley Cup where they lost. They have been a really good professional hockey team where free agents want to come we've seen this last year The the marquee free agent came even took you know it's he took less money i know it isn't really that he took a lot of less money but the point is he did want to come to the rangers so all those points need to be made so i guess that's just my soapbox moment of it's fine say james dolan is a terrible nba owner but don't write an article and expect it to be incredible when you say he's the worst owner in sports and you fail to mention that he also owns another professional team that has actually
0: been quite successful and uh, i i'm not i'm not gonna go down this road because i've only had one cup of coffee and uh i would need a few more and maybe some hard drugs but there's a big difference between the nba and the nhl and that is that the NHL is covered less than certainly the other three major pro sports, as well as arguably, you know, you could even argue golf, and you know, maybe even like MMA at this point. Um, you know, tennis certain times of the year, and the NBA is, I think, in some ways the sport. Um, I mean, the only competition would be the NFL in terms of how intertwined the media coverage is with the sport itself, and I know. Someone's going to listen to that and be like, what are you talking about? The, the, NA, the NFL makes, you know, gobs and gobs more money than the NBA. Yes, but there's a, there's, like a, there's a very big distinction in that there isn't that same access point. The players aren't out on social media. The media people aren't as like intertwined with like the power players of the NBA. There's something very unique about the NBA in terms of the interplay of the media and I'm not. I'm, I, I, I'm. Let me. I'm. I'm not. This is not. A, it's the media's fault. Argument. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Let me just say. This is. This has. This is not a. It's the media's fault that. that you know. And I'm. I'm trying to absolve James Dolan. I have been critical of James Dolan. I have had people message me privately and say that they were unsubscribing to um, our newsletter Uh, I I don't think I've ever told you this unsubscribing to our newsletter um, unsubscribing to this podcast giving the podcast like one star because I've been critical of James Dolan Um, and I will continue to be critical of James Dolan because he acts small and petty and like a child Um, those are when it comes to certain things mostly being the media but there is this unique thing that has grown out of all this, and it's mostly Dolan's fault. But but the, I, I can't also sit here and say that it's the, the media um, is absolved here. Um, that you know, when you add it all up, I, I absolutely do think it has something to do with the fact that the Knicks are where they are, as opposed to the Rangers who. You know, it doesn't matter what people say about James Dolan in the in the world of hockey. Not that anybody really talks about him in the world of hockey, as you just pointed out, um, because the NHL is different. Hockey's different. But with the NBA, it's like, yeah, you know what I'm getting over, at here.
1: Well, yeah, it just over. T- I mean, I think the point is if you switch the two teams' results, since he's been owner. Yeah, totally. I think the point we're all saying and we're all agreeing is that. There would not be articles saying is he the worst owner of sports. The articles would be fairly, you know, why is he a jerk all the time to the media, yes. right? Why is he letting, uh, um, you know, someone bait him into when they say sell a team into banning a fan, all that stuff. And see, the thing is, because the Knicks are are have been so bad, anything that happens negative from really what becomes a PR standpoint gets lumped up into this giant ball of it all contributes to the losing. And we, and I mean, again, we, we focus just on basketball. Just think of any business. You're telling me that there, there are other owners that uh, are CEOs of businesses that aren't doing a lot of things that we wouldn't agree of from a PR standpoint and yet still have success. I mean, do we see an NBA? I mean, just think of the Mavs, right? Like, I mean, we saw what came out about what was going on in that organization. There are bad things that happen in organizations across all of sports. And it doesn't, we don't have this strict correlation that says, we know scientifically that if you are an owner that is not very open to the media, that you are then going to have a bad team. It's easy again with the Knicks to put to connect these dots. And in some cases, that might be true because the NBA relies so much on a few players shifting everything. More so than any
0: you, other sport ever, and and, and and
1: it's not even close. Exactly. So if you have Kevin Durant come out and say, you know what, I was actually going to go to the Knicks, but once Dolan banned the fan, I said, this was it. Right. (laughs) If that actually happened, then the whole world would be like, Oh, this vindicates what we're saying. And it's like, well, maybe it does for that. Maybe that one particular player. And and maybe that's enough to be critical. But I guess the point I'm saying is we, we haven't, people are attaching those things together because it's easy to look at the results and say, these things can't be helping the results. But we know from looking at other organizations who also have bad PR, and I'm not talking, again, just in basketball, that you can win even with an owner that's that's kind of crazy. And we're seeing that with, with the Rangers.
0: And, and a couple things to note that are obvious. It's, you know, uh, what's the difference between – I mean, look, we could, we could sit down here and, and make a balance sheet of the ills of the Knicks versus the ills of the Mavs organizationally over the last 10 years. Um, but the one glaring difference is, uh, James Dolan, um, uh, has never given a, or he gave one media interview to Ian O'Connor, I guess last year. But other than that, I mean, it's really been just on his terms, you know, here and there. Whereas Mark Cuban sitting on the sideline of, um, you know, Vegas summer league, I was three rows behind him and, uh, you know, he held court with whoever wanted to come talk to him. Um, and that's the difference.
1: No, exactly. And that's the thing that's frustrating, I guess, the most. And that's what I'm, I think why me and you will defend, say, the, uh, you know, the New York Daily News side on some of these arguments. The main underlying point we're making is simply, why be so stubborn? Like, if you are someone who's sitting on, you know, the board, James Dolan, so if I'm on the MSG board, or MSG networks, both publicly traded companies, meaning they both answer to the shareholders. If I'm a large shareholder, I'm making my voice heard to say, look, just stop doing bad, dumb PR things. There those things you can control. You can't control where a free agent decides he suddenly wants to play. You can't control if you know the way a ball bounces on the court. But you can control these things. And if you just cleaned up that act, it would help the shareholders, because it would make the company look better. And that we know Dolan doesn't respond or doesn't seem to mo- care like what the media says or at times even what the fans say, but he is committed to the shareholders. And to me, I do think there is a business interest of why you would want to clean up that that PR side. And that's why, you know, these ideas abandoned the daily news, I don't care about if the daily news coverage has been fair or not. I'm just saying, just don't do it because, like you're alluding to, you see someone like Mark Cuban who has kind of a spotty record, <laughs> to say the well, least. Well, yeah, I was
0: about to say that's you're you're, you're, you're say putting it least. lightly, yeah.
1: But um, because he, you know, he is uh, he's able to kind of play that PR game, you're going to get different coverage. I mean, that's just how it works, and, and I think that that's what we're
0: saying. Yeah. And let's let's even generalize it, you know, one step further and I do this I'm I I don't know that I consider myself a writer necessarily but I do write and I write with regularity and as a writer from that perspective at least I could say that narratives and storylines and and through lines that you could connect where you you know you connect the dots and you put a nice little bow on stuff it's like you want that um it makes your not I don't even want to say it makes your life easier it's just it's it <sighs> I wish I, I I can't express in words why it's like that. Just it's like it's natural as a human being to 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 know that things make sense. And when you are committed to covering a sport for your living, or in my case, as your hobby that almost feels like a living sometimes, <laughs> right. to, you don't like the feeling that you have committed yourself to. You've committed to covering something. That is essentially random. You want to feel like there's some general rules and rubric to what goes on. And that is why, really, I think narratives emerge because, you know, and and people will defend themselves and say, well, no, narratives emerge because we look at the evidence. Um, and we take what the evidence says, and that 's how narratives come well no um as i 'll repeat my line that I ended the piece with this week. Go sell crazy someplace else because we 're all stuck up here. Uh, I was a lawyer, and if I know one thing it 's that you could take what you could find evidence to make your point there's always evidence out there to make whatever point you want to make it 's just a matter of how hard you need to um uh, go to look to find it uh, and there are some things that you can 't you know, show evidence for, like saying, I'm not going to sit here and say, James Dolan is a good owner. There's no evidence for that. But if you want to make a story, I mean, more or less, you could find the evidence you need. And here, I'm going on this long diatribe to make this very simple point. A narrative has emerged over the last several years, especially, that ownership matters. Ownership is the greatest competitive advantage. I think um, that's Danny LaRue's line. Um but you know all, all of these writers the n b a writers tend to tend to parrot the same thing um ownership is the is the greatest competitive advantage right um the most successful n b a organization of the last thirty years was the chicago bulls um how's how's uh, how's that owner and and that culture and how was that organization as it was winning six championships in eight years it's like they all hated each other as much as any you know, forget NBA team, right? They hated each other as much as any organization in the world at that time. There was they despised each other, um, and they and they won in spite of it because they had the greatest player alive, and um, and another one who was really very good. Meanwhile, well, yeah,
1: and right here in this city, right? You could argue with George Steinbrenner. Oh my he, God,
0: forget right? about it. Like,
1: everything changed, obviously, because of what happened there in the late nineties. But the competitive advantage, we know, you know. Obviously they got guys like you know, we know in New York why they won with Mariano and Jeter and those types, but they also had a lot of money to spend that made up for mistakes and they were able to kind of come out of the eighties where you would have wrote a different story with the same owner. Oh forget about it. Right? I mean so
0: You know, and meanwhile and meanwhile, if I asked a random person who was knowledgeable about the four major sports to name the most respected name in sports ownership over the last century of professional sports in this country. You want to know what I bet the name is that would come off the, the tongues of the most people? Mara, right? Whether it was the old man Mara, Wellington Mara, now John Mara. How's that situation been looking the last couple of years, right? Um, it's like these things ebb and flow. Some and, and yeah, having a great owner and a stable ownership group and all that, of course it helps. I'm not sitting here and saying it doesn't help, but to to make it like it's the be all end all, which is essentially what is the through line between all of these stories that have been churned out about the Knicks since July 1st, it's, it's that it, it's never going to happen because of this owner. Well, no, that's not actually true. Does he help? Of course he doesn't help um but it's just and this isn't this isn't me this isn't me and you like arguing for james dolan that's not what this is it's just i think me and you get so annoyed because we i think like to hold the media up to a certain standard of like just be like have the have the forethought to just be honest with yourselves and with us because there are millions of people that read this shit and, yeah and, 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 and,
1: and the point, is, the summary point is, if it could never happen with the, this owner, unless, unless again, and I haven't seen this scientifically proven or the piece written this way. If you're telling me the NBA is uniquely different to the NHL where ownership matters more, and then you want to use that as your reason why it could never, the Knicks could never win under Dolan, then connect those dots i haven't seen those dots connected yet but if you're just saying you can't win because of this owner then you you what are the rangers then again they haven't won a stanley cup but they have that owner and they have one that proves that your point is wrong that you can actually have a professional sports team that wins with this owner
0: yeah no it's it's and it's just you know we could go through example after example of 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 how this is disingenuous I mean I was thinking the other day the Rockets were you know a Chris Paul hamstring away from I, I would argue winning the title two years ago and they had a new owner that that bought the team not uh, what did he what did Tomer Fertina buy the team that year that season maybe the season before whatever it was yeah. and, and because he didn't want to you know go too high he, they they let Trevor Ariza walk and Started off the season slow because they were integrating some new parts and that was just enough to drop them, you know, at the end of the day to the fourth seed. And then like, like where's the, where's the articles, you know, bashing Tillman Fertina as the owner who essentially took the Rockets rightful championship and tossed it out the window because he didn't want to pay a few extra million dollars. It's like that article's not out there. Um, Am I saying it should be written? No, I'm not saying it should be written. But it's like. It, maybe one of the 187 people who popped out the same James Dolan article, maybe one of them could have been like, you know what? Maybe I should expand my horizons. But of course, that didn't happen.
1: Um, yeah, no. Well,
0: yeah. Here we are, though, right?
1: Again, I guess the funny part I'm thinking. <laughs> yes, here is we that are. <laughs> meanwhile, as we're saying all this, I'm thinking, so if some, you know, someone's listening who uh, is is thinking the opposite I guess of what we're saying. You're saying, well, yeah, okay, all those points are fine, but here you are July 28th. The Knicks didn't get any of the freedoms they want. They're probably headed towards another, you know, losing season. And, you know, well, can sooner or later, can, can we finish that, with that, that? that's kind of their point. Sooner or later, you got to say, well, what is the constant here? And so,
0: no, and I, I think that's exactly where we should. Let's just finish up very, very quickly on this. For 20 years, the Knicks have not been able to get out of their own way because if I was to put one one reason that it has to do with basketball, it's just constantly, constantly, constantly going for the quick fix. Um like that if like I, I would you summarize it in any other way? I would
1: actually the way I would summarize it, funny enough, is
0: Or 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 not have a plan. Either not have a plan no, but this,
1: no, but this is this is a thing that I think is not talked about enough actually. The argument is usually the Knicks, if they didn't get like, for instance, the big free agent like this year, they would overspend on the wrong one. Yeah. To me, it's actually not so much on the player decision. I think it's executive decision. Yes. They have too often under Dolan gone after the executive. So, you know, if you're saying Isaiah Thomas and Phil Jackson being the big two, who is the kind of the big name who's going to do the fix and it's more there to me that where they've struck out and then because of they struck out there, they obviously and subsequently made some bad moves. Phil Jackson, not as many or not nearly as many as people will, will say. He, he, he was the one that's kind of classic to what he did to the, quote, culture, I think, more than yeah. he made moves like Isaiah did. Yeah. But the point is that is where and that's, again, where you could argue there's a difference now where they went and got Scott Perry to work with steve mills they didn't go out and say you know we're gonna get whoever else that that big name that everyone walking down the street who watches basketball knows i think that's really the thing that they've done in the past that's been i got one i got one for
0: you uh john calipari like if this was if this was 15 or 10 or five years ago to me you know, you've now given Scott Perry – it's disingenuous to say two two full years because he came after free agency was done in 2017. Not that they had any money to spend anyway, but regardless. Um, you've given him two years. If this was the past, you know, I could have easily seen him getting fired, you know, and Dolan saying to himself, all right, I tried it the traditional way. Screw that. Um, let me go out and get the glitziest name. I, I would – you know, you could say it's Calipari. Maybe there's someone else I'm not thinking of. Um, you know, to run basketball and, and and coach the team or whatever, didn't do that. And and I, I think the most underrated point of the offseason, for me at least, and I said it on a podcast, I think a couple of days after free agency started, they had an easy out. They could have maxed out D'Angelo Russell. And they could have, you know, everybody's big on talking about how the Knicks love to sell stuff, right? The Knicks love to sell storylines. Well, what would have been an easier storyline to sell than, hey, we're the smart team now, right? The Nets, they went and got these old guys. Well, we are the real winners here because we got the young all-star point guard. And that's, you know, we're really, would that have been the right move? Absolutely not. Would not have been the right move. And I've talked about D'Angelo Russell in the past. I don't need to go through again why he's not a guy you want, you know, for $30 million a year. But it, that was there for them. That was there for them. We heard that he wanted to stay in New York. We heard he liked living in New York. Um But they... You know, they they didn't go for that opportunity, and I think they could have because they, did, they legitimately did not care about, quote-unquote, winning the back page. Scott Perry is still there, still has a job. He knew all of these signings that none of them would get, like, you know, the publicity. It didn't matter, you know? And we're finally—we're sitting here, and this is the last thing I want to say, which is that we have a team, finally, full of young players that—I think the line that stuck with a lot of people from what I wrote on Thursday— is that pretty much everybody on this team there's a really good chance that they the next next season will be the best season of their career and that's so exciting to me and i think it's so exciting for a lot of nick fans so for, i know you you know you just said for that listener out there who's listening and and being like well yeah they suck and they're going to suck next year and this and that so you know that's all the evidence you need to me i finally see A difference i see a different approach to me the proof is in the pudding and i know the pudding won't be wins this year i get that you know whatever it ends up being it's not gonna be a lot but i sense a change i sense it's actually different so you know i don't know do you do you agree with me or you
1: well yeah that's it they've never had the, the you know this group of this type of pedigree of young players yeah um one is having all these young players and two is also the pedigree of players. And that that's where it is. And then again, if it somehow doesn't work out, then, you know, criticism can be blamed. But it doesn't mean that, I mean, what, you know, what GM wouldn't have taken RJ Barrett with the third pick, right? So some of this stuff, when you pick that high, the luxury you kind of get is that, you know, consensus builds and it becomes, okay, look, like you picked a player, Everyone what it took now, and now you're you're trying to develop that player, and you know that's where I guess the the real results will come. But I think it's absolutely true that, and I said this sort of half tongue in cheek a little bit when summer league started, where I said R.J. Barrett has a chance to, um, you know, be something in New York that Kevin Durant gave up the chance and. I kind of cringe at myself for saying it because it's, it's hard to tease out the nuance of what I was saying in just a tweet. But the point is simply, New York fans, for as much as it's a big market city and it's about spending money and it's about getting big free agent, it's amazing how much New York fans love the homegrown talent. So if yeah. you're Derek Jeter, you get treated differently than A-Rod. And if you are R.J. Barrett and if you somehow become – the next great Nick, even if you aren't an all time player in the entire NBA, but you are a multiple all star on the Knicks, you just are appreciated and loved a little bit different than a player who just kind of comes in as a free agent. And I guess I was just making kind of more that point that Knicks fans, believe it or not, with all the rumors and all this stuff attached to them with free agents. Are, have really been begging to just give us our own guys that we can root for and completely call our own. And I think that's what this team has a group of players that offers that they have these young, you know, this young group on top of players who didn't really make a name for themselves somewhere else. So if they make a name here, they can become our own that fans are ready to get behind. And like you said, doesn't mean they're going next year and winning 50 games, but if you can get some subset of this roster to become the core that does win 50 games in two, three years. um, That's going to be a team that Knicks fans are excited about. And it's going to be a team that's called the normal NBA team, you know? And I think it's funny. That's the thing Knicks fans keep saying is we just want to be normal. And the, the coverage around the team doesn't allow them to be normal. Cause in many ways, I think what we're saying to sum up is over the past year and three quarters, They've acted like a normal team. It's just they've had to do it in the context and in the environment that since they are the New York Knicks and play on Madison Square Garden, these rumors and these interests are going to pop up. If the Knicks made all the same moves and said all the same things but just played in Indiana, it wouldn't – like – it's not their fault that players put them on lists of teams they want to go or that players want to come to New York. So when that happens, you have to react accordingly. They don't create that. And I think that's, you know, that's the fact of the matter. So it is a little different because of these young – or a lot different because of these young players. And like I said, I'm just excited to see, you know, how they kind of take the city because especially R.J. Barrett – sort of representing hey we didn't get the big guys but we got that draft pick he sort of represents this quote failed summer so I think a lot of people are like this is the great story right the American story we all love of you get knocked down and you come back up he it's not his fault but he can represent that getting back up to Knicks fans
0: yeah and you know whether it's whether it's him or or Mitchell Robinson I think it's it's going to have to be one of them and God willing, I, I sure hope it's both. Um, there just needs to be someone to take this mantle of, um, you know, despite everything. And, 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 you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't leave this guy out. Um, you know, Bobby Portis, look, I know of all the signings, that's probably the, been the one that's, that's most criticized. Um, he said it to I think it was, um, um, Mark Berman, right? Um, Like everybody, six man, yeah, yeah, no, and 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 but later in the same article, he's like everybody, everybody's saying what they're gonna say about New York. It's like, look, we, it's like us. It's he basically is like it's up to us to go out there and like you know, prove them wrong and put New York on the map again. And like, there needs to be that pride in being a Nick. Again, and that is something that I'll, I'll admit it, you know, the organization has tried to manufacture over the years. And I think that's the stuff that that probably annoys the media more than than anything else. Um, you can't manufacture it. It's like that has to come from inside your locker room. It has to come from usually or if not your most talented players, you know, close to your most talented players that. You know, even aside from, uh, you know, the development of uh, Dennis Smith Jr.'s jumper or uh, Kevin Knox's ability to finish at the rim, like, I'm paying attention to that this year. I want want to make sure that whatever that is, that nameless thing, I want to make sure that's in place by the end of the season. And if that's in place, you know, um, and we're having a conversation a month from or a year from right now, you know. I'll be happy. I'll be very yeah, satisfied. Yeah, you
1: know, right. And then another thing, too, funny is that every team, that's again called being PR or called being, you know, an organization that tries to set like a vision. Like every team tries to manage Oh, fact, for sure. Yeah. But, right? like, you know, I was yeah. like, like the Jets, right? They always they had. Play like a jet, yeah. and I remember I'd always say to my mean? dad, "You know, see where's season ticket holders," and I'd be like, "Play like a jet." So <laughs> what's that mean? Basically, be awful like every single year, like since 1969. Like, what is play uh, like? But it's that it's that concept, right? That's not something new. And I think that you know, no, that, you're that you're right. A, that's a funny thing to me. It's like, but if the Knicks do that, it's yeah. like you know,
0: no, you're you're I, you know what? You're a thousand percent right. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, listen, we'll, we'll, um, we'll see if it happens and let, let's just do this. If, if this, if they end up going out and, um, you know, these kids look better, um, this year or in the case of, I guess, RJ Barrett and, uh, Iggy Bristakis, if they just, if they look good, um,
1: well, are you rolling the name off the tongue right Prisnakis? there.
0: Prisnakis. <laughs> I've been practicing at in the, night in the mirror. All
1: right. That's what you've been doing. We yeah. haven't recorded in a that's, long time. Exactly. Really, I, every morning you've been getting up and just reciting his name over Prisnakis, and over again. Just for that moment.
0: <laughs> um, just for that moment. Exactly. Um, then – then, and I don't even care um, what the signing – what the free agent signings do, what they do statistically or anything else. Then Scott Perry is vindicated because – um he one way or another um something worked where it created an environment where these kids came in this year and they got better um and again that's that's all anybody should be you know should be looking for um and w- and we will remind everybody of that if that comes to pass hopefully it does so that's it anything else um i guess a programming note we will probably have um I'll, I'll i'll get a couple podcasts out during during august but i would imagine um we'll we'll get back up and running in earnest, maybe, uh, you know, towards the end of FIBA, depending, well, we'll probably, you know what, we probably do a couple podcasts during FIBA because there's a bunch of Knicks that, or a few Knicks that may be involved in that, RJ and and Frank at the very least, maybe Julius Randle, we'll see. Um, and then, um, yeah, but it'll be, like you said, it'll be kind of a little slow for the next couple months and then, uh, season will be here before we know it.
1: That's right. And it'll be exciting that we'll actually be able to have a season that we can kind of just talk about the basketball. Basketball? Right? I mean, that, <laughs> That's the thing this past season, right? Like when you look back, it's like yeah. it was just a season where it was about everything but that. Yeah. And, um, so we'll use this one to kind of officially close out this past season, where we go off about you know the the culture and the spin and the this and the that. Yeah. And then next we come back and it's okay, it's a, it's actually basketball we're talking about.
0: Yeah. And the other the other thing I just want to say for anybody um, out there, uh, if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, you should subscribe to the newsletter. Um, but if you are subscribed to the newsletter, um, or you're planning on subscribing to the newsletter um from here on in at least you know from my my thursday pieces that uh and we'll do the thursday newsletter for you know the next i guess month and a half two months um i'm going to be already starting to focus on the basketball and what we're likely to see on the court next year um you know doing a little film stuff here and there just you know trying to get everybody ready um because i think there is actually a lot of interesting stuff about this team um that we'll have more than enough time to talk to uh, or talk about rather um but yeah i'm uh, i'm already looking forward to it although i i will say it'll be nice to have uh a little time um a little downtime i guess would be the way to say it um yeah that's it anything else jb no nope, i think
1: that's it sounds good everyone enjoy the summer
0: everyone enjoy the summer uh we'll be back soon thank you for listening to the episode and uh yeah